20 years is a long time. In dog years, even longer, but in human years, it seems like forever ago, 20 years ago. 20 years ago, my daughter was, tw- was s- six. <laughs> 20 years ago, my son was 11. And I think about that a little bit. Think about that, what happened 20 years ago and how young we were and how little we were, how some of us weren't married and didn't have kids, some didn't have grandkids and were at the peak of their career 20 years ago. Seems like a long, long time. And yet 20 years ago is flashed on the television sets for us and across the nation, an opportunity to remember what happened on 9-11. The feelings and the events that occurred, you can't kind of watch them and and see them over and over again without having some sort of emotional response. And we kind of look and shake our heads and say, I remember when TVs were smaller, when information was slower, and when the whole world stopped on 9-11. The sadness of loss the insecurity that Americans had never felt, that somehow we were not insulated by the Pacific and the Atlantic anymore, but somehow there were places where evil people did evil things to inflict death and pain on other people. Twenty years is a long time. I watched a bit yesterday the somber scenes of reflection in Pennsylvania and the beautiful memorial there. I watched a little bit of what was going on in New York City and Washington, D.C., and I'm reminded that it's a really good thing to be able to remember. At St. John's that Tuesday morning, I was in Tuesday morning Bible study with about 40 gentlemen I remember going from upstairs of Walker Hall into downstairs of Walker Hall, and we had mounted 20-inch TVs with big tubes on them, and we thought we were in the middle of a technological evolution with Dick LeBon and a couple of other gentlemen that didn't have to go to work. We sat and watched the second jetliner fly into the tower. Unreal. That day was kind of a, a haze. We, 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 we moved a television set into the church offices and watched moment by moment and bit by bit as the whole day unfolded. And I don't think we took that television out for a month as the news and the information kept coming faster and faster and faster. That night will forever be a, a memory in my mind's eye as the whole church, the whole sanctuary was jam-packed. We said there is no liturgy to go through this. There's no book that says, here's how you deal with national calamity. And so we gathered together, invented as we, as we worshiped, we sang beautiful hymns. We found security in the word and promise of our Lord. And we found comfort in the community of people hanging out the windows on the sidewalks in the courtyard. And typically, as people scurry to leave the services, that night we stayed in here for quite a while, just comforting and caring for one another. Good things came from that, right? 
lots of good things, some things that kind of drive us crazy, but in our own congregation, we upped our game on security and background checks, all sorts of protocols to protect our students, our people, our ministry, and all of our workers. Personally, over the last years, we've learned to wait in airports to take our shoes off. We've experienced homeland security and real IDs. We've had some freedoms curtailed, and life has changed a lot, albeit incrementally, over 20 years. And along with this, America and the church has had to reckon what we believe and in whom we put our trust. 20 years is a long time. The gospel reading this morning from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, helps us think and and clarify those questions. What do we believe and in whom do we put our, our trust? It helps us clarify those questions as we push confidently and resolutely in a time of rapid change and cultural drift. And in our text today, the disciples work their way without Jesus and the three it's kind of like when the, 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 the big guy is gone and the vice presidents aren't there and everyone kind of says, this is great. You can almost see the disciples look at one another and say, we got this. He's throwing himself on the ground. It's okay. We saw Jesus handle this just a couple weeks ago. We got this. We're aligned with Jesus. The crowd is here and arguments going on. The boy's possessed. Let's go. But the disciples couldn't seem to get the job done. And on that dusty day, up walks Jesus, Peter, James, and John, having come from the Mount of Transfiguration. There's an argument going on. (laughs) I don't know if Jesus likes a good argument, if he put his hands in his head and said, oh no, here we go again. What do you believe in whom do you trust? The disciples trusted in themselves that morning. They operated with the good intention to do the work of trying to cast out a demon from the little boy, and they were overmatched. It didn't work out for them. Perhaps they just believed in themselves or thought they could do it or somehow would work its way out. But then in failure of their mission, the people who'd been kind of following them at a distance offered their opinions and their derision. I guess you disciples aren't so big and hot without Jesus here. But the teachers of the law, they remind the disciples that they got nothing by way of power, authority. They remind the disciples that without Jesus, they're nothing. Without their rabbi, they're inert. And so they argued and fought one with another, the teachers of the law seeking to prove that Jesus was a false prophet and that his boys were just kind of a series of Ninnies or nincompoops or blind followers. It's the teachers of the law who stand on the outside and point their fingers, offering nothing to anybody, offering no hope for the family, no healing for the boy, offering nothing. They only offer antagonizing comments towards the disciples. What do you believe and in whom do you put your trust? We've had 20 years to think about what we believe and whom we put our trust. 
Like the disciples, we follow Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We pattern our lives after his teaching. We see the world through the eyes of Christ. But sometimes we slip up. We say, I got this. This is no problem. This is no big deal. We take our eyes off Jesus and look to our own strength, manufacturing our own solution and using our own strength to put the spotlight on us as we solve an issue of life. In the last 20 years, we've struggled as a culture. I could show any number of videos that mock the church, uh, mock Jesus Christ, mock Christians, and, and, and even some lurid images that years ago would have been cast out rather than embraced. 20 years, I've seen a lot more painful mockery of the church and of Jesus than ever in my lifetime. The ideology of the evil one to divide and to conquer has put the church on her heels to a degree over the last 20 years. And the same derision that was in the city that day by the powers that be seems to be the same voice of derision that I hear over my shoulder sometimes today. Christians move away from the faith when it gets difficult, when it seems that there's no payoff, when it seems like it's taking a long time for God to keep His promises. Some follow follow other teachings that are more convenient, that seem to have a more transformative power. Christians turn to the Lord Jesus more like an emergency measure than the strength to live every day single day. 20 years, is, <laughs> 20 years is a long time with a lot of change. My dear friend, Dr. Mazum Gill, who worked for a communication outfit, his family had been put out of Pakistan. His father was a diplomat. Dr. Gill is an articulate, well-spoken gentleman who's written things that have been published all over the world even before the dawn of the internet. He took me for lunch to one of my favorite restaurants, which I haven't been to for a while, up off Red Hill Street in Tustin called Soul Garden. And Soul Garden is fabulous because you, you, you pick the meat you want, you pick the, the pieces you want to eat, it's kind of a smorgasbord, and then you come back to the table and you cook your own food. There's no griping about whether it's too well done or not cooked enough, you cook it yourself and... And there's something about sitting over a grill with a friend that opens the heart and opens the conversation. And Dr. Gill began to speak about his stories and and getting out of Pakistan and the Pakistani leader of the government looking at him and saying, Mr. Gill and your family, you're out. Pick a country, go, you're out. We don't want Christians in Pakistan anymore. And so they came to the United States of America. He raised his family here, his two children, and, and that day he said something that impressed me just immeasurably. He said, you know, Pastor, we are not hated because of what we do. We are hated because of our value systems. The reason why they flew the jets into the towers was because they hate our values. And I'll never forget that because values drive behavior. Wrong values, wrong behavior. What do you believe? And in whom do you put your trust? And what drives your value systems? 
It's about your values. Perhaps in the last 20 years, we've had to look at our values and our value system as individuals, as Christians, and as, and as, a, and as a nation more than any time since maybe 1517 and the Lutheran Reformation. Our values and our worldview as Christians are formed by the Word of God and by Christ Himself. And where Christians have gone back to the Word and found comfort and solace and truth in the Word of God, there has been a resiliency and a strength for living in such chaotic times. So what do you believe? Our calling is to believe the Christian faith, the faith that has been delivered to us by the apostolic teaching and by the word and promise of God Himself. We believe that our lives are created and find meaning in the power and providence of God the Father, that He breathed out and spoke and the world was made, and that this God who created all things created you and me, and that the fingerprints of God are on our bodies and in our hearts, in our world, in our universe, and there's nothing that is outside of the purview of the Almighty God, the Father of everything. In Him we find safety and security and comfort, resting and falling back into His omnipotent arm. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, the Son of God who redeemed us. That's in whom, that is who we believe. He redeemed us. His death forms our thinking. His resurrection inspires hope. And He's the one who walks into the dusty places of our lives, pushes others out of the way and says, I got this. Your marriage and family, I got this your career, and I got this, the internal pain in your heart, I got this. As surely as He cast out the demon that day, His authority speaks to our hearts and lives today and says, you belong to me and I belong to you. And we believe in Him. We confess God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the living God, the Word of truth, the breath of God, not some weird presence that points us back to, to ourselves. And, 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 and a little bit of you're, you're going to hear in the being challenge some of that. And people say, you know, Lord, uh, you know, Pastor, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit told me thus and such. And they said, no, <laughs> no, He didn't, because He speaks congruently with His Word. And when the Spirit breathes faith, when He breathes, He breathes faith into our hearts. When He blows, He blows evil from our minds. When He blows, He leads us to the grace of God and the mercy of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and provides the one thing that no other value system has ever been able to provide, a sense of joy, a sense of joy in being connected to God and in the community of the redeemed. That's what you believe. That's what we confess. And so the other question to consider is, in whom do you put your trust, or what do you put your trust? Well, you have some options. You could put your trust in man-made structures of society. You could put your trust in science and technology. You could put your trust in consumption and possessing things. You could put your trust in your fantasy football league team today. I, there's lots of opportunities. 
but all of those will leave you with the sinking feeling that they are not enough and that the more you hold on to them, the less solid life is. So there's more. There's the man who came to the disciples' rescue. There's the man who walked into town and walked right into the middle of the crowd without any sense of fear or intimidation. There's the man who stopped the argument, who addressed the boy's father, and then cast the demon out. There's the man who commanded the demon. There's the man who in compassion reached down to a little boy who had been through immeasurably more than... And everyone said he was dead. And the man grabbed his hand, dusted him off, presented him to his dad and said, Nope, he's okay. There's one man who exercises otherworldly and supernatural authority. There's one man who has reigned on the throne as the events of humanity have come and gone. Wars, pandemics, fear, challenges, life and death. There's one man in whom God has put all things under his feet. The one who has earned, the one who has earned your trust by pouring out everything for you. That one is Jesus. And we put our trust in Him. Amen.